All right. Well, let's uh, today is uh, is Christmas uh, Sunday. Uh, if I, I love doing Christmas stuff on Sunday because this is when the reformers, uh, many of them, not all of them, thought you should do it because they were trying to get as far away from Catholicism as possible. So they didn't like doing it on the 25th. They said it should be on a Sunday. Uh, and so we're having our Christmas Sunday uh, today, a, a time of the year where the, the church uh, and the world really has the birth of of Jesus on, on their mind, uh, whether they want to admit it or not, or whether even the birth of Jesus on their mind is they're trying to get it out of their mind, right? And they're like, no nativities, uh, no Jesus things. We just want all holidays and, and Santies and, and stuff like that. Uh, and it is. It is a festive time. It's a festive time uh, for everybody. And, and, and rightly so when, when Christmas is considered, it is considered correctly. It is a time of great joy for all peoples. Uh, and, and we read the Christmas story. We read it as families or we watch Charlie Brown read it to us uh, and uh, read the Luke account to us. And, and they become traditions for us. And, and it is a time of just celebration. And, and this week, I, I even went up to George and I said, George, I've, I've got some exciting news for you. Wednesday is Christmas. And he went, what? Uh, and looked at Terry and Ann, and I was like, wait, did he not know that? Was that a secret? Was I not supposed to? Terry's like, thanks, Chris. Um, and, and it is a time of great joy, but there is. I mean, when we read the Christmas story, we all know this. There is a chapter in the Matthew story that really seems not out of place with the Christmas story, but just has a different tenor to it. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 2. Now, it has parts that we like. It's got the story of the wise men. But Matthew chapter 2, in the birth story of Christ, is one of the darkest chapters in the entire Bible, tucked away right there in the Christmas story. Uh, It's the part uh, in Matthew 2, you know, where Herod is seeking to kill the baby where the family has to flee to Egypt, where an entire region of children, remember, not just in Bethlehem, but an entire region of, of, of boys to and under is slain as, as Herod is pursuing the Christ child. It is a chapter filled with supernatural warnings where angels visit in Matthew chapter 2, not just to say, hey, I've got great news, but angels visit to say, get out of here and run, run. And it's a chapter of unrestrained slaughter. Matthew chapter 2 is going to teach us that the Christmas story doesn't take place in a sterile environment. The Christmas story, the coming of Christ, is an invasion. It is a hostile takeover of a dark world. And so there's a reason that Matthew chapter 2 is in our story. There's a reason that the Lord had these events take place. In fact, prophesied about these events hundreds of years before they took place. So today we're going to learn about the uh, sort of dark days of Christmas and what we can learn from those. Let's read Matthew chapter 2. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll read all of Matthew chapter 2. As you stand and you quickly... Try to see how many verses are in Matthew chapter 2 and see if you can make it. Uh, Just remember that uh, in the book of uh, Nehemiah, they had him stand for the entire law. So at least we're not doing that. 
But Matthew chapter 2, let's consider the words of God from this really dark moment in the birth story. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him and and assembling, all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod When he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. That what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for what it teaches us about the world that we live in. The world that Christ came to. The world that he conquers. That your glory may reign throughout this earth. Thank you, Father, for conquering our dead hearts and the darkness that sat there, the Herods that ruled over us. Thank you, as Zachary said and prayed. Thank you 
for being the intercessor, the mediator, who burns, crushes, and throws our idols into the sea, Father. We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here we've got, tucked in this, like a really, like when you sit down and you go, okay, let's read the Christmas story. You might go, let's go to Matthew 1, or maybe let's start in Luke. No one ever goes, I know what we'll read. Let's read, let's read Matthew 2. Uh, let's just read the story of the wise, because you can't even read the story. If you just read the story of the wise men, you even have to skip some of these parts, right? I mean, all the way through it, Herod is, is troubled. He's trying to trick the wise men. He's trying to, he's trying to slaughter the child and is willing to slaughter anybody that gets in his way, even children. Even in the stories we do know, like, like those with the wise men, these darker parts are obvious. So what do we do with this chapter? What do we do with Matthew chapter 2? Do we just pretend it's not part of the Christmas story? Do we change our nativity scenes and add like a really dark looking figurine on the side who's like sort of watching over trying to find the manger? What do you, what do you do? What can you learn? Why is this chapter in here beyond just to tell us what happened? What is it teaching us? Why is it so important that we know that this is a fulfillment of the word of God? All these dark events. What can we learn from the dark days of Christmas. Uh, and I think there are some lessons to learn from these less sort of Christmassy parts of the Christmas story. And I hope that they will be helpful lessons, not just as you think about Christmas, but as you think about your life in this world. In this, you live in a Matthew 2 world. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that we don't live at the scene of the manger sitting under the Christmas star. Uh, we live in a world with Herod's filled, right? Uh, And so what do we do? What can we learn from this story in Matthew? Just briefly, as you know, you're like, how's it anywhere you can get through a whole chapter? Uh, Like you don't even get through verses normally uh, on a Sunday. We're just going to take an overview of these and see how we can pull from this story and from other parts of Scripture what we can understand uh, from these events. The first thing, and I think the most obvious thing for us, is that the birth of Jesus does not mean that the problem is over, right? Because that's Matthew chapter 2 starts now after the birth of Jesus. After the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, then all these things happen. And when you read Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 is filled with hope, right? Matthew chapter 1, they're like polar opposites. Matthew chapter 1 is all, all about hope. If you look back at, at, at chapter 1, it starts out, look, God is fulfilling his promises about uh, the child of Abraham, child of David. This is Jesus, and, and the name Jesus means God saves. He's going to save his people from their sins. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. So it's really, that's the very end of chapter 1. All great. All wonderful. Look, this is God fulfilling all the Old Testament promises. This is him filling salvation. He's coming to save us. He's coming to save us. God will save us. Emmanuel. But then you get into chapter 2 and it's like the mood shifts and almost without any warning. I mean, there's not really any darkness in chapter 1. You get to chapter 2. And all of a sudden, we find the child in a very dark world. And and chapter 2, chapter 1 is all this great stuff. And chapter 2 is like a chase scene in a Hollywood movie. 
Right? The child is fleeing from place to place as, as, as the angel has to come and say, rise, take the child, go. Someone's going to look to kill him. It's filled, chapter 2 is filled with scheming and plotting and attempts to kill a baby. To kill a baby. If anything, I think sometimes we sanitize chapter 2 too much because we just focus on the wise men. We just make it happy. So we pull the wise men out of a very dark story and we put them at the manger scene as if there's nothing else going on around the wise men. Right? This is truly one of the darkest chapters in the entire Bible. But Matthew 2 is not alone even in telling us about the darkness that surrounds the world even after the birth of Christ. There are other chapters, maybe not as dark, but other parts of the Christmas story that you get the same sort of foreshadowing that everything is not okay just because Christmas has happened. Christmas is here, let's all smile because everything's great now. I mean, even back in, in Luke's gospel, right, the story of Simeon. And Simeon is this, this, this great story of this righteous and devout man who's waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for this redemption of Israel. And God has told him he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. It's all wonderful. But what does Simeon say to them about the child? He says in Luke chapter 2, verse 34 and 35, we get a foreshadowing to what is filled out in Matthew chapter 2. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many and Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's kind of an ominous thing to say to somebody with a baby, right? I mean, if you picture the events and everybody's happy, he's like, all right, this child is blessed. But hey, also know this, that this child's going to be for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And a sword is going to pierce your own soul, Mary. And he's going to reveal the thoughts from many hearts. That this child that everybody is celebrating now, and when you're reading Luke chapter 2, it is a celebration, and that everybody's celebrating in Matthew chapter 1, this child that everyone's celebrating will be, soon be what separates people from one another. That this child is going to reveal who we really are. The Christmas child comes to reveal the world, to reveal our hearts, and that a sword is going to pierce Mary's own soul. The coming of Christ doesn't mean that the battle against sin is over, Christian. And so when you're celebrating the Christmas story, we need to make sure that we remember that Matthew 2 comes out of Ma- after Matthew 1. We need to remember that, that the coming of the Christ child is the first step in a war. And sin is going to rage against this child. Rage. If you pull back from the manger scene, from just being focused in on that little sweet little crash and look at it as the baby and the shepherds and the, you got the wise men. And when you pull back from that manger scene, you find a world seething at the birth of the Christ. Herod wanting to know where the Christ is to be born so that I might 
worship him. I like to make I like to make him sound like this evil guy who they should have definitely known was evil. The scene is perhaps I think best painted from Revelation chapter eleven or chapter twelve. In Revelation chapter twelve. Listen to how. Revelation describes what has gone on in the birth of this child. Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So you've got a dragon, you've got the dragon. The great serpent waiting for the birth of the child so that he might do what? Devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she, was, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So the child is going to come. The gospel breaks forth, but the dragon rages at the child. Herod's pursuit of the child is not just something that Herod thought up himself. It is the raging of the dragon to destroy the Christ, to devour the Christ. And he doesn't just rage against the child. The child escapes. As we know, he flees. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. We know that from Hosea. So so the child escapes. He flees. But the dragon is not satiated. The dragon is not satisfied. So the dragon turns his fury onto the child's brothers and sisters. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, as the story continues, the child escapes. The mother is hidden. So what does the dragon do? Then the dragon became furious with the woman. And went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That the dragon, unable to devour the child, will come after you. Those of you who show you are her children and brothers and sisters of the Christ by keeping the commandments of God and holding to the testimony of Jesus, the dragon pursues you. Remember that. When you celebrate Christmas and you put the wise men up there and you go, I can't believe Herod was going to kill that baby and recognize that the spirit that moved Herod to kill those children, that same spirit has turned his eyes on you. Because you dare keep the commandments of God. And hold to the testimony of Christ. You do. And the dragon will look for you. The Christmas story tells you that. It warns you. That everything said there is real. And so the dark days foreshadowed in Christmas. The anger of the world toward Christ. Is now shifted to Christ's people. So when we read Matthew 2. We get a foretaste. Of how the fallen world is going to react to Jesus. We get a foretaste of why they're not going to love the nativity. Because in all honesty, it's not, they wouldn't mind having the nativity if you promised they could kill the baby in it. That's what they want. That's what the dark world wants. That's what those without Christ, that's what their fallen hearts want. That's what their father tells them to want. So it is not astounding 
that they would not join you in singing joy to the world unless you promised to lead them to more so that they might slaughter them. And you see that. You see those sorts of actions among the persecuted church throughout the world. Those who are faking allegiance to Christ so that they might find the children of God and destroy them. Whether it be in China or in Southeast Asia, parts of Africa, Those who will say, yes, I will. Tell me about this Christ child so that I might worship him. And they are led by the dragon. And his children are consumed but are not destroyed. Do not be surprised if that's how the world reacts to you. Do not think that just because we celebrate the coming of Christ that this world is going to be easy, that this world is going to love us, that this world is going to celebrate us. Without the work of Christ to change the hearts of the world, this is a world, like I said, with Herods filled. Filled. And we go out into the world among those who are still following the prince of the power of the air, the one who's still at work in the sons of disobedience, the ones who are still listening to the voice of their father, the dragon. We go out into that world and they see us and that might be the scariest thing to think of. They see you and they know you. And their father wants to devour you. So remember that. You do not, we do not go into a world that is going to be easy for Christians. We don't go into a world that even as the gospel spreads, that God says he's going to spread it with ease upon our backs. We go into the world where we bear the testimony of Christ through our deaths. And the gospel moves and spreads through the blood of his martyrs. As the dragon works his own destruction. As he attacks the children of Christ. The brothers and sisters of Christ. So remember you live in a Matthew 2 world. So when you're done unwrapping and celebrating. And you put up the tree. And you you tuck away Santa. And the mangers. And you unstring the lights. Remember you're going to step out into a dark world. In a world that hates this day. That Matthew chapter 2 follows right after Matthew chapter 1. So when you get done celebrating Jesus, God saves. Emmanuel, God with us. The promise is fulfilled to Abraham and to David. When you get done celebrating that and you tuck it all away, as you step out your door, remember what you step into. The same world that Christ stepped into. A world that will hate the work of Christ and will seek to devour you because you follow the commandments of God and keep the testimony of Jesus. So Merry Christmas, right? That's what, that's what we were talking about the sermon. And I was like, okay, you guys know. And Betsy had looked at my, at the the sermon sheet because she likes to cheat. Uh, I mean, not as much as Boogie, but still a lot. Uh, And, and, she was like, I was like, what are we going to talk about? And she, she said, we're going to talk about all the things that are sad about Christmas. Uh, and I was like, no, not quite. Uh, although that would be, that would be a new, all, everyone crying. and like, I hate his Christmas sermons. His Christmas sermons are the worst. Um, we're going to be serious about fun here, guys. Uh, so Matthew chapter 2 is there, that, that, that we do fight against a world that is filled with darkness. But Matt, we also learn from Matthew chapter 2 
that we need not fear this world of darkness because we have a shepherd. Because we have a shepherd who has slain the dragon. Satan may rage, church, but we need not fear him. We need not fear him. The Gospel of John talks about this light versus dark situation. All of the Gospels that talk about the story of the birth of Christ talk about a situation where there is a light versus dark in the coming of Christ. John's, of course, more oblique about it because that's how John begins his Gospel. But John talks about this light versus dark situation that happens in the coming of Christ. He says in verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, what? Has not overcome it. Now, what does that mean? It means the darkness is trying to overcome it. It means the darkness wants to overcome this light that has come into the world, but the darkness cannot. So John is saying, yes, we live in a Matthew 2 world, but Matthew 1 wins. Matthew 2 is not the end of the story. Matthew 2, well, Matthew 2 is the end of the story. Because in the end, Herod doesn't succeed. In the end, Herod fails. When Herod is looking for where the king of the Jews was to be born, the the chief priests and the scribes read to him from the prophet Micah. And we see him quote this in verse 6, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For what? For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we understand Herod is not alone. Like I said, we live in a world full of wicked kings. Israel's own history is littered with wicked shepherds. We just read about this last week in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. Full of shepherds who don't lead the people of God. Full of shepherds who lead the people to the dragon. Think about that. Think about how horrible that shepherding is. In Christ, though, we get the ruler that all the kings of Israel and Judah were supposed to be. The shepherds, they were supposed to be. We get a shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We get a shepherd who doesn't follow the dragon, who doesn't lead us to the dragon. We get a shepherd who instead slays the dragon. And it is that promise that is meant to encourage the church in a world where the dragon rages against you. That we can take hope that our shepherd has, in many ways, already defeated the dragon. We don't need to fear that the dragon's going to win. The dragon has already been beaten. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, this is the promise he makes to them as, they, as he talks about the, the rulers of this world and the authorities. He says in 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This world may be filled with Herods, but we don't need to fear them because Christ has disarmed them. He has shamed them. He has triumphed over them in the cross. Which is why Christmas can't be the end of your story. If Christmas is just the end of your story, then you end with this Matthew chapter 2 sort of hanging by a thread. But if you continue the, the story of Christ from the birth to his death, and you see that the death of those little ones in Bethlehem were just a foreshadowing of the greater death that would come, the death that would save those little ones, that would save the little ones that the dragon seeks to devour, 
the very thing that the rulers sought out, the very thing that the dragon wanted, is the weapon that our shepherd uses to defeat him. So the very ragings of the dragon are nothing to fear. God even uses the ragings of the dragon to defeat the dragon. And so we battle, but we battle against disarmed enemies. We battle against a defeated dragon. First John is filled with these encouragements to the churches, encouragements for a world that he says. I mean, First John is all about, look, you live in a world of darkness. And if you live in darkness rather than the light, you know, you must not know the Lord. And he says it, look, we live in this dark world. And those words, those, those words are, are just not, not just getting, getting through this dark world. He says, look, you live in a dark world, but let me give you a promise of victory in this dark world. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you, young men, why? Because you have overcome the evil one. This is why we, we don't need to fear the fact that we live in a dark world. This is why we don't need to fear that the dragon is pursuing us. But because, because, because Christ has defeated the dragon, you and I have overcome him as well. So that even the youngest of believers, John can say, has victory over the evil one, over the dragon. Each of us as a Christian has a dead dragon laying at our feet. A slain dragon. How? With what did we slay him? I don't remember slaying this dragon. I don't remember this happening. He tells us in chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. The world that rages against us, he says, you've overcome the world. Not you will overcome, not you will one day overcome. You have overcome the world. How? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And you can see there how 1 John ties in. John, who wrote 1 John and also wrote the book of Revelation. John ties in there 1 John chapter 5, verse 5 with what he wrote about in, or what he's going to write about. He didn't know he was going to write about it yet. Uh, in Revelation chapter 12. Those who keep the commands of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. He says, look, that holding to the testimony of Jesus is the, is the thing he might want to devour you for, but it's the very thing that defeats him. Your faith. It is through that faith that overcomes this world full of Herods. This world led by a dragon that wants to devour you. It is our faith in our shepherd. That is the death knell to Satan's reign in our hearts. So that even we, the children pursued by the dragon, end up slaying the dragon through the faith that as we've seen in Second Peter, the faith that comes from where? From God. That has been gifted to us. That has been granted to us as if by lot. In other words, not deserved, not earned. But a gift that kills the enemy that is pursuing us. We win, Christian. Because Christ has won in us already. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in 
the world. We don't win. We don't overcome the world of Matthew chapter 2 because of our strength alone. We win because our shepherd, our ruler is great in us. The strength that we have does not come from us. It has been given to us, which is the exact same thing that Peter said, right? He has gifted to us everything that we need for life and godliness. Our shepherd gives us all the tools we need to slay the dragon that pursues us. So that we overcome because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So we go out into a world. Yes, we go out into a dark world. We live in a world that hates the Christ child. We, we live in a world. And in, I mean, you think Matthew chapter 2 is bad. I mean, we live in a nation that rages against infants in general. There are more children slaughtered every day in America than perished in the whole region of Bethlehem on that day. You don't think that our world is dark? You read that, how did that happen? And for the same reason, the same reason, people love darkness rather than the light. And so, in a world with Herod's filled, they'll slaughter their children in pursuit of their own goals. We can't forget the desperate state of this world. We can't forget how dark, not just the world is. I mean, it's easy to think, oh, it's so dark in China. I mean, pastors disappearing, and they are, right? Pastors going, going well, if I go to church today, I'm, I might never come back alive. And we're going, ah, I got to bed late. Uh, I don't know if I can make it. Uh, maybe I'll make it next week. And they're thinking, maybe I won't make it to next week. I mean, we live in a world, but it's not just over there, it's here. A world that rages against Christianity. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we go and we see polling data, or we see the state of the American morality, we, we shouldn't be shocked. <gasps> we should recognize that without the work of Christ, this is the heart of every man. The dragon rages in their hearts against Christianity. And so I don't want us to be discouraged when Christmas is over and we're discouraged because no one wants to put Christ in Christmas. No one wants to celebrate the right way and it's all, you know, this and that and then it's over and they're already on to the new year and they're just ready to get plastered. No, it's like, I love Jesus. Now I put up the nativity and get out my bottles. And we go, what's, what is up? And it's the same thing that's been up since the beginning of time. The dragon has been raging against God's children since the garden. Pursuing those who live in fellowship with the Lord. So we can't forget the desperate state of this world. We can't assume that there will be any peace in this world between us and them apart from the work of the gospel. It's not going to happen. The only reason the dragon is ever at peace with the children is if he can use them to pursue the child. Same thing with Herod. Oh, wise men. I want to worship him too. Just show me where he's at. There's no peace, no peace apart from the work of the gospel with this world. But, so the world is very dark, but we don't go out into this world afraid. We go out under the care of our shepherd and we'll look at Psalm 23 that talks about the calm that comes even in darkness when we're with a good shepherd, right? 
What does Psalm 23 say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Remember all the way back in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, it said that he was going to uh, shepherd the, the, the people of Israel and that he was going to use what? Would he use a rod to shepherd them? That was Luke chapter 2, actually. This world may be dark, but Christian, we're not afraid of the dark. You don't have to be afraid of the dark. Because we're with our shepherd. You know, the church is a scary place. At night, when no lights are on. I mean, it's creepy in here. It really, I mean, it's creepy anywhere that's dark, right? But you notice how not creepy it is when you're not alone? It's less creepy when I'm with one of my children, right? And what are they going to do? You know, what am I like? Oh, I'm so scared. But luckily, I have Betsy with me. You know? It is natural to be scared of darkness. And the world we go into is very dark. But we have a shepherd who is greater than that darkness. We have a shepherd that we can say, look, even if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, God, they comfort me. And so we go out into this dark world, but we go out as victors. You don't need to be afraid of the dark. In fact, you can walk victoriously out into the dark with no fear because you know you've already won. Your shepherd doesn't tell you to hole up and wait out the darkness, does he? The shepherd that says, they're going to want to kill you, you're going to be persecuted. He said that to his disciples. You're going to go out, and you're going to be persecuted for my namesake. That same shepherd doesn't say, so wait it out, I'm coming back. Okay, when I come back, it'll all be over, and everything will be kosher. I don't know if he really cared about kosher then. He doesn't say wait it out. What does he tell his disciples to do? He doesn't tell them wait it out. He sends them out. He makes them apostles. What does the word apostle mean? Sent out ones. Remember that Matthew 2 may be how that gospel begins. But how does that gospel end? What does Christ say in Matthew chapter 28? The end of the story. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What do you do with Christmas in a dark world? What do we do with this story? What do we do when we step out from under the Christmas star and from the angels singing and everybody praising? What do we do when we step out into a Matthew 2 world? One, you recognize the authority of Christ over that world. And you go and you make disciples because your shepherd is always with you. So you don't fear it. You don't hole up. You go out and you proclaim to that world confidently that though the dragon may bruise your heel, you 
will crush his head. And so we step out from under that Christmas star into a dark world, but we step out confidently because the light's not just shining around us. Now, because of Christ, it's shining in us. Let's pray. Just as we bow our heads, just take a moment to think about the fact that we live in a dark world. Think about how fallen the world is. And that's good for you to remember because it's good for you to remember that's the world you were a part of. That's the world you held allegiance to. And so when we talk about the big bad dragon, realize that's once the, the, the team whose jersey you wore. The one who you pledged allegiance to. It's only in the work of Christ that you now have a new father. Have a new life. The dragon now slain at your feet through the faith that he's given you. So remember how dark this world is. But then also remember that you don't go into this dark world alone. You have a shepherd. A shepherd who has overcome this world already for you. Who has, who has triumphed over it. And who has given you the strength, all that you need for life and godliness, even in a dark world. How much greater is the gift that God has given us? He gives us the power and the strength to live righteously in a world that seethes with unrighteousness. So go out confidently. Confident in your Christ. Confident in his victory. And therefore confident in your own. Father, we thank you. Because God, without you, this is the world we would still be in. And we would not be here today. We would not be here today worshiping you. We would not be here today celebrating you. We would be part of a world that wants to devour you and wants to devour your children. That's where our hearts were. And, and maybe the fact that we're celebrating Christmas and we're wanting to make it about Christ and we only want to make it about Christ is, is, should be to us a testament of what all you've done in us. Father, I pray that as we go out into this world, God, that we would not be shocked by the darkness, but that we would not fear it either. That we'd know that you are with us. And since all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, we then go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that you've commanded because you are with us even to the end of this age. And this age will end. The darkness does stop. And one day, there will not even be a need for a son. Because the light of you and of Christ will reign throughout this world. So, Father, I pray we wait expectantly for that day and that we would pray, Lord, come. But until that day comes, I pray that we would go. Go out into a world that is yours, proclaiming the gospel. Even if it means our death. Because we know even in that, we have victory. Because our shepherd is always with us. So it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.